Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're grateful to have the opportunity, the ability, and the means to be able to spread God's Word, teach the Bible, the Scriptures, on such a widespread basis through the medium of the Internet and by means of these podcasts. We broadcast by podcast a Wednesday night Bible class every Wednesday evening. It's posted local time at 6.30 p.m., and we're thankful to be able to do that. Now, we know that there are people in the Omaha area, but also there are people in other parts of the country who are not able to get out and be with a church in a physic, in a, on a physical level. And we know that's the case here in Omaha, and we're thankful to be able to still teach God's Word, at least to offer it to those people by means of these podcasts over the Internet. And so we're thankful that you're listening whether you're in the Omaha area or if you're listening in another part of the country or somewhere else around the world, and we know that people are listening all over, again, we're thankful that you're there and we're thankful that we're here to be able to still communicate God's word, to still be able to teach the scriptures, and again, on such a broad-based basis. So we're thankful. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us if you're able. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street. And Bible classes on Wednesday evening are at 6.30 each Wednesday evening. Sunday mornings, Bible classes are at 9.30 each Sunday morning, followed by worship at 10.30, and then Sunday evening worship at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening. We also encourage you to tell everybody you can about our website, churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. If they'll go there, click on the podcast button, they can sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. We're not talking about a temporary offer. We're talking about it is always offered for free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And so when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive on their smart device, their smartphone or computer, laptop, pad, tablet, whatever that might be, this, our, our, our Wednesday night Bible classes automatically, also our Sunday morning Bible classes, all of our sermons, and they'll also receive a Monday through Friday daily, daily radio program, Search the Scriptures, and a seven-day-a-week daily Bible study called Today's Bible Class. And that's only about 13 minutes long each day. So much easier for a lot of people to fit into their busy schedules. It's about 13 or 14 minutes to get into God's Word. It keeps us in God's Word. And since faith comes by hearing the Word of God, well, it's, it's imperative, it's crucial that we continue to consistently be in God's Word so that our faith can stay strong and even grow stronger. We also encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But you know people in your life, probably some within your own family, who need to grow in their faith. They need to get into God's Word. Help them by sharing these studies with them with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. What a great blessing to help somebody potentially get to heaven by getting them into God's Word through these studies. That will also be a great blessing for you. So make that commitment. Start sharing today. 
we're going to get back into our study of 1 John. When we finished 2 Peter, we moved right into 1 John because as our Bibles are laid out, that would be the next book to follow. And just as James and 1 and 2 Peter were written to the individual Christian primarily, so also is 1 John. Now, we talked about how John, the apostle, might be thought of and might be referred to by a number of people as kind of the apostle of love because he talks about love so much in this first John this this first recorded letter of his first John. We might also think about how he emphasized love in his gospel account, the gospel account according to John. Now, in this particular letter, 1 John, these short five chapters, he emphasizes love over and over and over again. But he's not talking about some kind of wishy-washy or squishy, squishy, you know, uh, feely kind of love that a lot of people think of when they're talking about such. And I'm afraid that a lot of people think about love in that, in that kind of regard when they're even talking about God's love for us and our love for God. God's love for us is not primarily, you know, touchy-feely and just all emotional, and neither should our love for God be just those, that, that kind of, fit just those kinds of descriptions. We're talking about real love. Sometimes when we love somebody, we have to love them in spite of themselves. We have to love them even when they're not very lovable or maybe not lovable at all, but we still have to love them. And so when we find the word love translated in the scriptures, many times it's, that, it's from that Greek word agape, and that is not a love that is primarily based on emotions or feelings, but rather it is a love by will. In other words, I'm going to love you no matter what, no matter if you hate me, no matter if you treat me badly, I'm going to love you anyway. And so it's making up our minds to love. And again, that's a different Greek word, and it's a different quality of love than just, oh, there's this feeling that comes over me. Now, that's, 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 that's okay. Sometimes there's a place for that. But when we're talking about God's love for us, let me tell you, he has to love us at times when we're not lovable just from the benefit of our own actions and behavior. In fact, a lot of times we're just the opposite of lovable, but God still loves us. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we go on through this book. And we left off with verse 7 last time. We started to touch on that, but I wanted to come back and deal with it more thoroughly. In verse 7, well, let me go back to verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, we talked about how that particular description of God as being light, and in him is no darkness at all, how that can be understood or an application can be made in a couple of different ways. We looked at Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, where it talks about the city of heaven being lit or illuminated by the very presence of God and Christ. 
Their glory is such that just their being there lights up or provides light for the whole city. No need for artificial illumination, no need for the sun or the stars or the moon to light the city. No, just God's presence there lights the city of heaven. So it can be understood from that kind of application, but it also, and probably more directly in this particular text, is referring to light personifying righteousness and goodness and godliness. And God is totally good. He is totally godly. He is totally righteous. In him is no darkness at all. There is no wickedness, no evil, no unrighteousness, nothing bad about God and his character. And so God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Then John went on and said, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so there is probably the primary understanding of God being light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God, but we're walking in the darkness of sinfulness and evil and wickedness and unrighteousness and ungodliness and unfaithfulness, well, then we're liars. We're, we don't, we're not in fellowship with God. We're not walking in fellowship with God. Now, that might make a lot of people mad, but you need to take that up with God himself because John is simply writing God's word here by inspiration, by guidance through the Holy Spirit. And so this is God's word saying basically, and you can make a personal application. If I say I have fellowship with God, but I'm living in sinfulness, then I'm lying. I don't have fellowship with God. I'm not walking with him in fellowship. I'm not living a life of godliness. I'm living a life of sinfulness, if that's my lifestyle. Now, then we come down to uh, verse 7. And here, John goes on and he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The prophet Isaiah talked about how we need to walk in the light of the Lord. Just a very simple, direct statement, and yet it gets across the message to us. We need to pay attention to how we live our lives. We cannot walk with God in the light of his word, in the light of being in fellowship with him, if at the same time we're not living faithfully to him. We're living, we're not obeying his, his instructions, his commandments. Walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 5. To walk in the light of the Lord, we have to be living by his teachings on a consistent basis. We have to be living that godly life that God has instructed for us to live and instructed as to how to live that godly life through his word. Remember again, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we truly love God, we're going to be living by his teachings. And in fact, the same apostle John in 2 John chapter 1, verse 9 said, whoever transgresses and does not abide in or live in, live by the doctrine of Christ, the teachings of Christ does not have God. But he who abides in the doctrine of Christ lives by those teachings, has both the Father and the Son. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we need to be walking in the light of the Lord 
in the light of God's word, in the light of righteousness and godliness and Christianity and faithfulness to God and to Christ. Remember that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16 says that we as his followers, true followers, are to be the light of the world. We're to let the world see the light of Christianity, of Christ, of God in us. And we are to let our light so shine that others may see our good works, but not to our glory, but to the glory of God. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5. So we are to light up the way around us by the fact that and the way that we live in the teachings of God's word, in the teachings of Christianity. Now, in verse 7, when it says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, if we walk in the light, if we're walking by his teachings. Well, in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, the apostle Paul wrote along this line, He said, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, that is the blood of Christ in this context, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. When Jesus died on that cross, he died, he gave his physical life as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. When you go back to the Old Testament law of Moses, and you see the animal sacrifices being offered on the altar before the tabernacle and then later on before the temple, it was a sacrifice wherein the blood of the animal was shed. And that shedding of blood represented the life of the animal. In fact, in some cases, the blood was actually sprinkled upon the altar or around the altar, perhaps. And again, that that blood was a life symbol. When Jesus died on the cross, well, of course, the nails pierced his hands, pierced his feet. The crown of thorns was pushed down over his head, and undoubtedly that caused the skin to be broken and blood to, to trickle down across his face and his forehead and probably drip down on his body. But also remember, when he had died physically, the Roman soldier came along And just to make sure, he rammed that spear into his side. And the scripture text tells us that blood and water came forth. So he literally died on that cross. So when we look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, and that is by the shedding of the blood of Jesus on the cross, but also That means more deeply, it wasn't just a cut, a scratch, a wound, but it was his life. The shedding of his blood, justified by his blood, he died on that cross. His blood was shed, demonstrating that he was dead. And through that sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If we're living the Christian life, if we're living the faithful life before him, through his sacrifice on the cross, the shedding of his blood, we can have confidence in our being cleansed of the guilt of our sins as we're baptized into him, buried in the waters of baptism as he was buried in the tomb. And as he came forth from that tomb alive, 
as we're buried in the waters of baptism, we contact the cleansing power of his blood, and we come up out of that grave of water, so to speak, cleansed of the guilt of our sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And Acts 22 and verse 16, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. Well, in Hebrews, uh, I'm, in, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, again, the apostle Paul writes along this line, But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, Paul is addressing, I think, primarily Gentile Christians here. Gentile Christians. They were outside the law of Moses, the Old Testament law of Moses, because that law was given to the Israelites, to the Jews. But also, anyone who is not in Christ is far from him. They're not with him. They're not in him. We're baptized into Christ, Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27. And so someone who, is, who has not been baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins to be saved is outside of Christ automatically. And so Paul says, now in Christ Jesus, you who once thought were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And it's because of his sacrificing his life, or God sacrificing the life of Christ on the cross, Jesus going along with that willingly and lovingly, it is through his blood shed on that cross that we can be brought to God, that we can be cleansed of the guilt of our sins and be justified or stand justified before God. In Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and we read verse 4 first. Here, the Hebrews writer writes along this line as well. He says, for it is not possible that the blood of goats, of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now, the Hebrews writer, throughout the book of Hebrews, he emphasizes the superiority of Christ to angels of the New Testament law of Christ or Christianity, the gospel in a more succinct form, to that over the law of Moses in Old Testament times. And so in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now, God allowed, he instructed animal sacrifices through Old Testament times but that was to point the way toward and to suffice for the time being the expected forgiveness of the sins of the people who would take part in those sacrifices because God knew that he was ultimately going to send his son to the cross to have his blood shed and to die thereon as the perfect one-time-for-all-time sacrifice. Jesus dying on the cross is the ultimate blood sacrifice. For a while, God allowed, in fact, he instructed the sacrifice of bulls and goats, of animals, 
But that was only in prospect of his sending his own son to die on the cross and have his blood shed so that through the shedding of his blood, his death on the cross, we could have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins. And then also in that same 10th chapter of Hebrews, verse 10, by that will, the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God literally offered as the ultimate one-time-for-all-time sacrifice the body, the life from a physical perspective of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on that cross. What an incredible love God has for us. You talk about love, oh, it's almost unimaginable how much he loves us, how much he has demonstrated and continues to demonstrate his love for us. And we move on to verse 8 in 1 John chapter 1. John goes on and he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now we need to understand that we are, more, we are mere mortal human beings and as such, we have all the weaknesses of humanity. And one of those is that we don't always make the best choices in life. There are times when we succumb to the, to the temptations of the devil and we commit sins. And so John is saying, if we say we have no sin, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not fooling God. We make mistakes from time to time. Even as faithful, dedicated Christians, we still stub our toe along the way from time to time and we, met, we commit sin. But don't, we ought to not lie about it. We ought to not deceive ourselves. God knows the truth. We're not deceiving him. But if we keep telling ourselves, no, no, I, I don't, I'm not guilty of any sin, well, we're, we may be deceiving ourselves, but we're probably not deceiving anybody else. And so Paul sa- uh, uh, John says, <clears throat> if that's our position, if that's what we say, then he says, we're not only deceiving ourselves, but we're not telling the truth. The truth is not in us. Then he goes on and he says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And of course, God is not a liar. In fact, one thing that the scriptures tell us that it is impossible for God to do is lie. God cannot lie because, again, he is totally righteous, totally good, totally holy. In Titus chapter 1, we read verse verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. God cannot lie. It's against his very nature. He is totally righteous, totally good, and he's totally faithful. And the scriptures tell us about his faithfulness from time to time. Now, that seems rather odd to us, God being faithful. Well, sure, of course he's faithful. He's God. But we're even reassured of that character in the scriptures a number of times. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the apostle Paul said, 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned, okay? If we're old enough and mentally capable to understand the difference between right and wrong, truly, and the concept behind all of that, then we know we've sinned. We know we've sinned. In fact, if you go back earlier in that third chapter of Roman, uh, the Romans letter, Paul said, <clears throat> what, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then we can also read the same basic truth in Galatians 3 and verse 20, 22. The scripture has confined all under sin. So John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. In verse 10, that was verse 8, verse 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, we're just deceiving ourselves or maybe even outright lying, denying what we know to be true, that we have committed sin. But right in the middle of those two verses, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can be forgiven if we will come to God in a humble spirit and mindset, repenting of our sins and seeking his forgiveness properly through Jesus Christ. God is giving us time to repent and to come to him for forgiveness. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. Now, we come to him in repentance as one who has not yet been baptized, surrendering to him through Jesus Christ as we're buried with him in the waters of baptism And that's how we contact the blood, the cleansing blood that Jesus shed on the cross, and it washes us clean spiritually of our sinfulness, of the guilt of our sins. Again, Acts 22 and verse 16, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. Now, once we become a Christian, and John is really writing this to Christians, we still even though we have the best of intentions, we still make mistakes and we still commit sin here and there. But we can repent of that and we can come to God in prayer through Jesus Christ asking forgiveness and the blood that Jesus shed on the cross will still cleanse us of the guilt of our sins, of the guilt of our sins. And we can be thankful for that and be confident in that. What a blessing. How much God loves us. And we ought to love God in return with all of our heart, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for sending your son to the cross to die physically, shedding his blood so that we could have the opportunity to be cleansed through the cleansing power of his blood of the guilt of our sins, as we're baptized for the remission of our sins. Help us to to strive to the best of our ability, and where we come up short, please give us the strength to fill in the gaps, Father, to live faithfully and obediently and consistently before you, Father, and in Christ, 
always we pray. Please forgive us. Help us to help others see your light shining through our lives. In Christ's name, amen.